Welcome to San Diego Magazine's Happy Half Hour. This is our fun little field. Start that over again. <laughs> I'm going to edit myself out already. David's drunk. Jesus. <laughs> it's what's happening when I'm just drinking water. <laughs> this is our fun little food and drink filled podcast with Marie and Troy and Noah, as always. I had something really weird happen to me actually yesterday for the first time in all like 220 episodes of this show. You got a haircut? I had my very first ever podcast bad dream. Oh no, really? What <laughs> happened in the nightmare? Tell us. It was it was crazy. So for some reason we were going to be podcasting from wherever the Chargers are playing now in LA and we were doing it like on the field and we had this like big audience and so like we had all these people coming to do it and like I go and I'm setting everything up and like then we're trying to interview it and like none of the audio stuff worked and then it was with like someone who used to be on the show as well and they were like screaming at me and I was like oh my gosh and then we got it to work and then like but no one could hear it but me it was really strange and it actually uh, it, it woke me up. Two questions. Did your teeth fall out? And second of all, because heat to falling out is when like the dream dreams always really go bad, right? But second of all, why the hell would we go up to LA to podcast? That's like going to your ex-girlfriend's house and trying to broadcast while she makes out with her new boyfriend on the couch. Like that is terrible. I mean, you need to you, you need some serious psychoanalysis. Um, you need I agree. some you need to come into Jesus on your charger isms, whatever they are. I don't know this. I, I don't like your head. If any listener out there knows how to analyze dreams, let us know, hit us up. And I want to know more about it, but uh, <laughs> not a nightmare, but something that's actually incredibly awesome is our special guest this week. We have Keith Raleigh, owner of Gianni Bionomo Vinters in Imperial Beach, who just won a whole bunch of awards that we're going to talk about a little bit later. Ocean Beach. Actually. Oh, Ocean Beach. I'm sorry. Wait, you, you just messed up my hometown? I, David. <laughs> David. I, we need stop dreaming. I, stop it's, it's all coming true. It's all coming true. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't listened to the show before, we're gonna start you off with some news and notes throughout the dining scene, which we like to call hot plates. Then we'll have a whole uh, segment with Keith and then we end as always with two people 50 bucks Marie let's get started we have a wonderful San Diego tradition coming back with restaurant week next week it's the spring edition of restaurant week so the week-long event is back starting Sunday April 11th through Sunday April 18th so during the event restaurants will be offering prefix menus for lunch and dinner at lunch starts at $10 for two courses and dinner prices start at $20 for three at some of the restaurants. Uh, right now there's 80 restaurants participating and about 200 are to be expected. So if you look at the website, sandiegorestaurantweek.com, um, it's sorted by indoor and outdoor dining options, uh, curbside pickup and takeout. And you can also see uh, who's offering uh, what meal at what price. I mean, dear sweet Jesus, this is good news. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, health um, guidelines being what they are. I mean, we're in the red tier right now as we re record this. We're heading towards the orange tier. I am so damn glad to see restaurants opening back up, you know, in the right way, I feel. Like, we shut down for a very, very long time. You know, I mean, we our local businesses went through hell for, hell for this, and they did it right. You know, I mean, as long as it, the health department is saying that it's safe right now, we're getting to see our restaurants open back up and make a living again and hire people back. I'd imagine, Keith, I mean, you know what this has been like. I mean, how good does this feel for you? 
Yeah, just it feels good just knowing that the potential is there. Imagine having a place at the beach. Now, I didn't study winemaking to make sangria, but imagine how much <laughs> sangria we sell at the beach on a hot summer, on, in, in the summer. We sold exa exactly zero glasses of sangria last year. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Brutal. Brutal. Yeah. I mean, and you're paying beach prices. I mean, you're on Newport Avenue, which is a famous, you know, independent, you know, uh, strip of Ocean Beach. I mean, and that's not like paying Vista prices. That's not like paying, you know, somewhere in Kearney Mesa. Or Midway or whatever. Right. All right. Yeah. So that was tough. And it's great. Orange tier, that optimism. Um, we're looking forward to it. Oh, God, wine at the beach is back. I mean, so congratulations to all the restaurants. I mean, we've been, you know, talking to, to all of you through on the podcast throughout this entire process. And just, you know, it, it went from like a deep, deep, deep emotional pain to a little bit of hope to deep, more deep pain. And now it feels like we're coming, getting to the point where hope is sustaining. And I am just, God damn, it feels good. I wonder if they're going to continue after 2021 who knows if they will continue doing restaurant week and giving the curbside pickup and takeout options for it seeing how long how long do you think some of the repercussions of these new approaches to dining will last yeah i don't know that's going to be interesting i'm sure we're going to have some lasting effects of this new socially distanced world you know i mean i imagine there are going to be people who do not feel comfortable coming out for, for a, a long time you know um and keith you got any perspective on that it's really interesting because we've got some, some of our wine club people are well into their 70s mm -hmm. and uh, have no inhibition at all about coming down to the winery and stopping their feet. Let's get this thing on. I've had enough of this. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe some of the younger people are a little more apprehensive. But that's really been an interesting twist on things. That is it. You know what? My parents, uh, to exhibit your point is my parents got both of their shots. My parents didn't leave the house for a year. I mean, it really, I mean, almost didn't leave their house for a year. They got both their shots. They are fully vaccinated. My dad was sitting on our, on our, um, our front patio, drinking a glass of wine. And he's just like, <laughs> I'm the problem now. I'm the 20 something year old. I'm going to be everywhere. How many doing body shots off of, I mean, I don't know. I mean, just like, yeah, oh, no, Troy. some good attitudes, some good attitudes, and people are so ready to get at it. It's uh, it's amazing. Absolutely. Troy, can we now have your dad on as a guest? Because I really want to party with him. <laughs> He's the <laughs> best, man. He literally was like, I'm going to be the problem now, all right? Well, we have some other good news coming out of Point Loma. A very popular Italian restaurant is expanding. That's right. Uh, Chase Sorina is going to open a pizzeria across the street from their current place on Voltaire Street, and it's going to be called Angelo, named after the owner's father, and it's going to open by the end of this year. And one thing that stands out about plans for the new restaurant is they're going to have a cheese factory on site, and they're going to be make, making their own mozzarella and burrata right there. So this is great news to hear that um, a restaurant that had been struggling um, has made it through uh, 2020, and they have plans for expansion. You know, I, Ch Chase Arena is one of my favorite um, uh, pasta restaurants in San Diego. My wife is from uh, New York, you know, where they have a little bit of good pasta. Um, and she has eaten plenty and plenty of good, good pasta in her life. And, you know, she went there and she was like, oh, my God, this is this is New York caliber. This is this is great. I mean, they, they make it right there on site. Um, th an exhibit of how dedicated they were. I mean, they 
um, really went out of um, out of their way to feed their employees and to take care of their employees and had multiple measures throughout the pandemic that were raising money for their out of work employees, um, you know, because no owner could just keep their employees, you know, it's just it was impossible, you know, you just you'd go financially bankrupt, you know, so, you know, there were some people who were like, oh, pay your employees. I'm like, you're talking about a small business owner here. They're saying, unless you want them to go absolutely under. Well, these guys really made an effort, though, to do so many fundraisers for them. And this is an example of how dedicated they were. I, I ordered um, Cesarina um, delivered to my house. I ca- called the restaurant directly, um, ordered it delivered because my wife's having a hankering. And uh, they show up in the car. It was the owner. It was the owner huh. in the car delivering. They were doing everything. They were cooking it. They were boxing it up. They were putting it in their car. I mean, it was just this. Is, that was the degree to which, you know, they were, you know, had to do it all. We, uh, we started a wine delivery service for people that did not, for the shut-ins. And talk about a good business. Holy smokes. Delivering booze to people that are shutting their house <laughs> and out of booze. Um, that's not a bad gig. Uh, but it's, it's clearly not sustainable. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I imagine you were like Santa Claus. I mean, they were probably the happiest to, to see you. I mean, they, they've been shut in for days. He's and... here again. He's here. Oh, we missed him so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back tomorrow to collect the empties. <laughs> we know we have a whole bunch of industry people who listen to this podcast, so we wanted to share some news of a new grant that is available. So the California Restaurant Federation is offering a grant for local restaurant owners, and you can start applying soon. It's called the Restaurants Care Resilience Fund. Uh, More than a million dollars was raised for the fund, and it's going to be distributed to business owners in eight counties, and San Diego is one of them. So if you own a single unit restaurant in San Diego, you can apply for a grant that provides $3,500 and one year of support services for your business. And priority is going to be given to women and minority owned restaurants. You can read more about the eligibility and apply online at restaurantscare.org. And the application window is from the 11th through the 18th. So during uh, restaurant week next week. Yeah, I mean, this is just yet another example of, you know, I, obviously every every industry is hurt during this. I mean, not every industry, some industries are booming, um, you know, but restaurants themselves were one of the most marquee um, places that were hurt, you know, and the, the stats show it that it was one of the worst um, that was affected, you know, but it seems to me that the outpouring of help, like people just found their good center in all of this and started helping people. Like Keith, did you get a lot of help? We have people that say, what can we possibly do to help you through this thing? We want you to stay in OB. We love that you're here. Please don't go. Please don't go out of business. Do you need money? Can we buy more wine? Can... So there was really an outpouring from the community that wanted to keep us there that um, wasn't so obvious before this whole pandemic mess hit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people just, they, they, well, we all kind of dropped what we were doing because a lot of us, A, couldn't go to work either. And it kind of freed us, freed up our time. You know, like during the, during the regular world, you know, you're, you're busy, you know, like, you know, my, my wife just sent me a text that said, look, we need to schedule 15 minutes to walk our dog in the morning every single morning. And I had to text her back and I'm like, um, I absolutely agree with you and I love our dog, but if ever if we, if we, if we can try to plan our lives around our dog's walk, but if every once in a while he doesn't get a walk, he's tough shit out of luck. Um, you know, <laughs> you know but, you know, I, there's a lot to do. And once we all kind of like, 
were forced to like we couldn't do anything else it was like helping was the first thing that we did you know we really focused on helping local businesses get through this it was i mean honestly one of the worst times one of the best of times you know it was a dickens novel you know it was just it really was it, it brought so much heart i saw so much heart from so many people so we have one last news item and we love seeing growth in san diego new brunch spot coming to hillcrest and it's called breakfast and bubbles and it's going to open on Park and University in May. So during the daytime, it's going to have brunch and champagne and oysters at night. Um, we got this from uh, What Now San Diego. That's a real estate blog. Uh, there's no word yet on who the owner is or who's going to be the chef behind it. Uh, the PR firm uh, told the site that it will be different from the, quote, classic millennial brunch experience. Um, I don't quite know what that means, but... Um, champagne and oysters, that's an easy sell for me. I'll be there. I think oysters is probably the number one thing that I've missed the past year because I don't want to order them online and shuck them myself at home and then be in the hospital, <laughs> you know, a couple hours later. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this new spot and it's definitely on my list to check out. Uh, what, the classic what is the classic millennial brunch experience? You guys all get together. Um, Rosé all day. Rose all day and 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 uh, talk about the burden the burden of your college um, tuition. I think that's it, right? But that sounds like, about it's right. like yeah, bitch about student loans. That's what it is. And when I say that, I am fully in support of you getting rid of your student loans. Please, millennials, don't attack me. I'm with you. I hear you. Well, that has been hot plates for you this week. Marie does put up a blog post on SanDiegoMagazine.com every week, so you can learn more about all this really cool stuff. And if you wanna. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. We want to know what you want for takeout. We want to know if you have special guests you'd like to see. Give us a call at 619-744-0535 and leave us a voicemail. Or if you'd like, you can email us at happyhalfhour at sdmag.com. Keith Raleigh, while he's been with us this whole time, he is the founder and winemaker managing director of Gianni Bonomo Vinters in Ocean Beach. A little over a week ago, Gianni Bonomo won several awards at the 2021 San Francisco Chronicles Wine Competition, the world's largest wine competition, including best of class double gold for their 2016 Charbono Reserve, a double gold medal for their 2017 Petite Syrah, and a gold medal for their Bordeaux-styled Mastorale. Hope I got that. 85% close to right. Woo! <laughs> Keith emerged himself in the world of wine by apprenticing under the top seven winemakers around the world at Long Shadows Vintners in Washington, then completing a degree in viticulture at Enology. From there, Keith went on to become a member and certified judge with the American Wine Society and is a credentialed through the Court of Master Sommeliers. Keith moved to San Diego to start Gianni Bonomo in 2010. Wow, that is quite the list of accomplishments right there in these last short bit of time well thank you yeah actually i moved to say i moved to ocean beach in 1997 um and had another business uh down in ensenada and uh when the great recession hit compound coupled with the um the narco violence um i switched gears and uh, as a 47 year old uh at the time decided to go back to school and that's when I decided to study enology and viticulture and uh, jump in with both feet um, to learn the science of winemaking and grape growing. Two questions on that, Keith. So what, A, what made you come down to, uh, to San Diego? What made you pick Ocean Beach? And then B, tell us a little bit about the business you had in Ensenada. 
I was in, I came to San Diego for the first time, um, probably 33 years old on a business trip and uh, could not believe a place so awesome existed in the United States. Now, granted, I'm coming from Minnesota and it was January. <laughs> so that, that was a good selling point. I go, you gotta be kidding me. Bikinis mm -hmm. in January? Uh, I'm liking this. So, um, I was in grad school at the time studying international management and uh, one of my courses uh, was Spanish. I had to uh, take a business Spanish course um, and I did not really have the chops for that yet. I heard, this is pre-internet. Um, so I heard about a school down in Ensenada, uh, ended up going there and um, decided that, you know, I could do this myself. So um, I decided to open a Spanish immersion school in Ensenada, Baja, California, um, just when there was Netscape and AOL, and that was the world of uh, internet. I uh, had a one-page website, and uh, the other two schools had did not have any web uh, presence. So that propelled us, uh, propelled my school into... One uh, page on Netscape, major life at that point in time. It did, and uh, there was no dial-up service in, uh, in Mexico, so... For me to get internet access, I'd have to make a long distance call to AOL and go about things that way. No. Well, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, is, that is awesome. So then I, I want to go back to the awards that you just won really quickly. And I want to explain to people how big, just how big this is. A, the San Francisco Chronicle is well known as one of a wine Bible of sorts. You know, I mean, they're right by Napa, they're right by Sonoma, they're right by UC Davis, which is one of the top, you know, enology institutes in the United States. You know, I mean, they know their damn wine. You know, they, that is, that's the spot. They're like what the New York Times is for news, they are for wine, you know, and this is a double blind competition too, which means they have, no, the judges have, which are the top, some of the top judges in the world have no idea what's in that glass. They have no idea if it's from Napa. They have no idea if it's from Sonoma. They have no, they're just judging purely on structure, flavor, taste, everything else, right? right tell us why this is so big, brother. Um, it is the largest competition of America only wines. Now there's no international players in this thing. Uh, but the judges are tasting over 7,000 entries. So that is a lot. Um, and wow. all the big names, the Louis Martini and the Jay Lore and the Eberly and the Visa Tui and the Sebastiani and the Robert Strong, uh, Rodney Strong, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, Silverado, Hess Collection, Santo Chamichel. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And then you throw Johnny Bonomo Vintners in that company from Newport Avenue. And... Uh, that's pretty cool uh, because, as Troy was saying, the judges have no idea. They know that it is Cabernet Sauvignon between forty and eighty dollars, or they know that it's a Sauvignon Blanc from nine to fourteen dollars. Those are the cat samples of, uh, of categories. That's all they know, uh, and it's not comparing. If you get a flight of uh, five glasses, you have to be try to be a, a, as objective as possible, not comparing these wines to each other but each one has to be assessed uh, objectively. Um, and yeah, to come out on top in, in that company uh, is pretty cool. I mean, that is, it just, it doesn't surprise me anymore because it's not the first time you've won. I believe the first time you won was back in 2017, 2016? Yeah, something with it, with the, with another Charbonneau. Um, and it's interesting, the fact that people will love that wine, but if you 
put that up and say, this wine is from Sonoma, this wine is from Napa, this wine is from Santa Inez, this one is from Sierra Foothills, this wine is from Newport Avenue and Ocean Beach. Um, <laughs> they're going to say, I think I'll go with the Napa. Right. Um, right. But the Napa is the one that got the bronze medal, and the one from Newport Avenue is the one that got the double gold. So go figure. Um, <laughs> that is so amazing. I mean, it, it, our, our little ocean beach has some of the you know, best North American wines. I mean, all right. So give us a little bit. A, tell us exactly how your process is. And then we'll go into what a Charbonneau is because that, that story alone is fascinating. But okay, you have, you got to picture this on Newport Avenue, which is a bunch of bars really and tattoo shops. And you know, I live like around the corner, um, you know, and it's a classic independent neighborhood, you know, and you have, well, then now you got a target, um, but you got, you know, Gianni Bomono right there. How does that exist as a winery? Tell us about your process, what you do. Um, first, when I moved back to San Diego, I rented my house out when I was gone uh, up in the Pacific Northwest. I was gone for four years and uh, looked all over San Diego for a place that would be suitable for a winery. And number two, that where I could get zoning uh, because I'm, I'm technically uh, manufacturing. Um, Ocean Beach, Newport Avenue is not zoned for manufacturing. It's not zoned mm -hmm. for production at all. Um, but we got the right city planner guy at the right time. And he gave us a blessing. So we were, we were in. Nice. Um, so next I went looking for grapes uh, around here, around San Diego County um, and checked had a half an acre. And I think Billy might have a little more low and not enough extra for a commercial venture. So as the clock was ticking, um, I said, I'm just going to go back to my people up in Washington, the people I've been working with that I know and trust. It's going to be a little weird shipping wine grapes from Washington right through the gut of California <laughs> grape production uh, to basically the Mexican border. Now, that's kind of a stretch right there. Um, but that's what I did. So I go up there, we'll harvest, we'll destem the fruit so I don't have to destem on site. That's a big, sticky, messy uh, affair. And um, it also requires some big, messy, uh, expensive equipment. So I will pay to have it de-stem. And what I get um, are picking bins full of grapes. Uh, simple as that. From uh, Washington, I'm pulling out Sangiovese, Mouved, Syrah. Um, I'm getting uh, Cab Franc, Cab Sauve, uh, Malbec and uh, a grape called Blau Frankish. Mm -hmm. um, so the grapes come down, we'll ferment everything on site. We do press on site, we press straight to barrel. Um, if you come and visit the winery, you will see a couple of vintages. Uh, my 2019 and 2020 um, are all in barrel right now. Um, after two years of barrel aging, um, I will bottle and we get the mobile bottling truck that comes in. Our neighbors, Target, has been, have been very good neighbors. Nice, and nice. Um, reached out to them. When they were uh, first coming in, they reached out to me and asked if they could use my winery during the morning um, to have interviews because their place was not suitable. We, um, we being good neighbors, we allowed them to do that. And in return said, every Labor Day, can we take over your parking lot? And uh, yeah, one day a year, Target says, You're all, you got it, buddy. Uh, so we get a mobile bottling nice. in, and we do about 1,500 cases 
um, on on Labor Day, and that's all stored on site as well. Um, so you and you're in communication with the uh, the grape growers, with with the um, vintners up there, right? I mean, or not vintners, the the farmers up there. You kind of control when to pick those grapes too, when they're the perfect um, acid, perfect sugar content, everything else, right? Yeah, that's both in Washington and in uh, the Sierra foothills uh, in Amador and El Dorado counties. Two very different uh, growing climates, two different uh, ripening uh, dates. So um, I like it when the California stuff comes in first, we can process all that, get those bins out of the winery, um, and then the Washington fruit comes in. Uh, back in 15, 2015, it wasn't like that, where everything came in at the same time. And it was a, a real show, but we somehow got through it. We don't want to do that again. I think you forgot the word shit before show, but uh, yeah, I did. That's I, a, I, I intentionally omitted that. <laughs> the um, it, you explain to me the difference between California grapes and, and Washington grapes, and both are obviously fantastic, uh, amazing grapes. But I asked you why you got Washington. Explain to me the different, the subtle difference between Washington and California that I think was really interesting. Well, I mean, California grapes. Um, vary so widely from the north to what they're growing in uh, in Del Zura or in, uh, in Campo. So uh, there's a wide range. But in California, um, by and large, if you don't pick your fruit at optimum uh, ripeness, at the, your desired ripeness, it is going to continue to build sugar. It's going to dehydrate. It's going to turn into raisins. You're going to end up with a wine that tastes like cooked fruit. Uh, it's not going to have that fresh brightness to it. Uh, if you leave the California fruit on the vine too long, all the acid is going to bleach out of the, the uh, grapes. So what you get is just kind of a flabby blah mess yep. um, that takes a lot of... Now in Washington, um, things ripen much later and you're going to go into the middle of October, um, sometimes almost the beginning of November before we even harvest. Uh, it might not get even up to 60 degrees during the day and get down to 38 at night. So that allows these grapes to, to continue to develop their phenolic content without losing that brightness and that acid. And, um, Really, that's the, that's really an over exaggeration or oversimplification. Sure. But kind of a, in a nutshell, that is that's what I noticed with my wines, my Washington wines versus my California wines, and that's how I how I approach them. And when you say phenols, you mean flavors, really? I mean the the the, comp, the, the tannins and the cannons that come from the seeds, the tannins that come from uh, the skins, yeah. um, those kind of those kind of elements. And what the hell is a charbono? Charbono. <laughs> Charbonneau is uh, a grape that originated in the Savoie area of France, which is now, well, it used to be Piedmont, it used to be Piemonte region of Italy. Um, and it was smuggled over here in the middle 1800s, late 1800s, and it uh, took hold in front of the iconic Inglemuck. If you've ever been to Napa and you've seen those big giant doors in front of Inglemuck, uh, the castle, um, all that used to be Charbonneau part, uh, planted in front of that. Um, and Inglenook famously won awards for the best Barbera in Napa and the best Barbera in California and the best Barbera in the United States. And it wasn't until the late 1930s that UC Davis did some genetic testing on this 
Barbera and found out it was actually Charbonneau they were selling and winning all the awards <laughs> the whole time. So they said, oh, well, excuse them a lot. Um, <laughs> they started selling it as Charbonneau. That was at about the same time that Cabernet Sauvignon was starting to take off and uh, Charbonneau was being replaced uh, with a much more um, romantic, if you will, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, the, the new darling of Napa. And it's remained the darling. So yeah. slowly, um, over the years, Charbonneau has been jettisoned to outlying vineyards. I happened to find some in the Sierra foothills, uh, crazy enough, looking for Barbera. And uh, this farmer said, I know I don't have any Barbera, but I have some Charbonneau if you'd be interested. So apparently there are, there's less than 100 acres total of Barbera planted, I mean, of Charbonneau planted in the United States right now. No way. And so you found the one farmer, uh, erroneously, looking for a completely different grape, which Inglenook was too. They thought it was Barbera. And the same almost mistake led you to this little exactly. bounty. of. And this guy planted it himself in the uh, mid-80s. He manages the vineyard himself. He just turned 94 years old. Oh, um, he is a rock star, this guy. Nice. Can we, do we know, can we say the name or who is, who is this? Yeah, his name is Douglas Lees, Doug Lees. And okay. uh, Doug uh, is the owner and uh, manager of Arastra Vineyards. Awesome. 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 So you, all right, so you can bring Charbona down. And I remember the first time I went into um, Gianni, you know, years back. Uh, and, I, you know, I was looking at, looking at it. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm sure this will be, you know, terrible wine. Um, you know, and I like, got in there and I tried it. I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. It's just so good. It was shocking. I mean, not, not shocking. Obviously, you have the skill set and you've put in the time to study this and, you know, really put in, you know, your apprenticeship and everything else. That's not shocking. But what was shocking was the, the quality of the Charbono and the quality of the Blau Frankish. You know, it's just a completely different grape. I mean, it's just so that flavorful and adept to it that I wasn't getting from like, you know, I mean, not to say anything bad about Capsov, but, you know, that's fine. The Cabernet Franc I love, you know, but this is completely different. It's a different animal, isn't it? And that is part of the reason why I'm entering these wines in competition. Um, and that is for credibility. Now, Troy came in with low expectations and he is one of many <laughs> come in and say, how good can a wine possibly be that is supposedly <laughs> is made in Ocean Beach? Uh, I mean, where do you grow the grapes, dude? Like on the roof uh, or at, at Dog Beach? Is that where you grow the grapes? That's pretty funny, isn't it? Um, so is it that they're coming in with low expectations and they taste this stuff and they go, wow. Um, or is it really that good? So that's why we're sending it out to competitions and getting objective uh, wine experts to taste it. And they're going, wow, this stuff is really good. That, that yeah, that's a really good point. Now, during the pandemic, you you said that you were uh, had had to come up with some unique and innovative storage techniques too for your wine, huh? Uh, tell me, tell me about that. Um, Are you allowed to talk about that? It's, um, <laughs> so, what happens every year, actually? Okay. Um, it's not necessarily for the uh, for the grapes, uh, but when we're done with the bins, now these bins are plastic um, and. Uh, we use them every year. They're about three feet high, four feet by four feet, and they hold a half ton. So they're called uh, half ton picking bins. And uh, when we're done with those, we need the floor space at the winery. Um, and I'm not going to pay to store these place somewhere until I get them back to the vineyard. 
So they end up in my front yard in Ocean Beach. Um, <laughs> and they keep piling up and piling up. And so I'm not going to get multiple trucks to go because that's expensive. So I'll wait till the whole freaking thing is full and we're done with them and then get the truck to come to my house and pick these things up. So the neighbors, um, they're getting the hang of it now. Uh, <laughs> but the first couple of years, they're wondering, what in the hell are these things? What is this guy doing? Uh, so the, and it's always around uh, Halloween. Um, so the first year it was, uh, we're building a maze for the kids, a Halloween maze. Isn't this fun? It's far more uh, sustainable than these <laughs> car, silly corn mazes. Uh huh. Um, this year was a little different. This year I put out signs saying this is an exhibit of cubism uh, on loan from uh, the Buffalo Museum in Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I go, could that really be? Everyone's out walking their dogs. It's pandemic and they're staring at these ugly bins. Uh, maybe that is. That is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Um, so next year we'll have another story. I, I love that. So just it, know this. If you walk by a home, you know, up, up up in the hills of Point Loma and you see a bunch of different cubist exhibition pieces, you know, <laughs> they might have some fantastic award-winning wine um, in them as well, the little dregs of it. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so what I do you ahead. do with then... Well, first of all, where do you get your barrels? You'd mentioned where you get all your grapes. So where do you get your barrels? And then what do you do with those when you're done with those? I'm guessing another art piece or do you sell them to people as planners or? <laughs> um, all of the above. Um, I reuse barrels. After uh, two uses, the barrel is named neutral. So you're, it's really not imparting any oak profile to it. You're still using it as a, as a storage vessel that, you know, as the egress and the ingress of oxygen, um, but it's no longer imparting any, uh, any uh, oak elements. So you can use them virtually indefinitely. Um, I like them keeping, I'd like to keep them looking nice because it is kind of a show place and our barrel storage area is not off in the warehouse and back because we don't have a warehouse in the back. Um, so we want them to look nice. So we will donate them to the OB Women's Club. We'll donate them to some of our best wine club members. We'll sell them to people for planters. Um, and where do I get them? I get them uh, out of Napa. Uh, they're all French oak. It's all white oak from France um, that comes over in staves. Um, and then they're assembled at various facilities up in Napa, various cooperages and toasted to whatever degree you want. And then, um, then brought to OB. Another question that's kind of uh, breaking news related. Within the last 10 minutes, once again, we're recording this podcast on Tuesday, Newsom announced that he plans on having California fully opened on June 15th. How does that change anything for you guys? Will you guys be bringing back events then? Does it change your current business model at all? Yeah, we haven't had any employees for since March a year ago. So yeah, that's gonna change how we're doing business. It has been, on the bright side of things, it has been very peaceful, um, <laughs> but uh, we sure do miss that cash flow. So we will be, we have, uh, David continued to have events. Um, we couldn't have them at the winery. So the wine and the wine club members really wanted to get together. They wanted to have wines. I've got these new wines that deserve release parties. So how the heck are we gonna have a release party when we can't be in an enclosed area, um, when technically we can't even assemble more than however many people the, the, the PC thing is. 
So I opened this up to my house and rented a bunch of picnic tables and pergolas and pop-ups and invited the wine club members to come to my house, my backyard. We brought in chefs, we brought in uh, Michel Malécon from the French Gourmet to help with the release of the uh, Maestrale. Um, so he came in and did Coco Vin for 70 people. Um, we bring in pizza chefs in the backyard. Uh, right now, I'm looking for someone, and maybe you could help to uh, uh, do tri-tip in my backyard, Santa Maria style tri-tip, uh, to help celebrate the double gold medal Petit Syrah. So that's the next event. Oh, yeah. I feel a Richard Blaze on that one now that you have an award-winning mm -hmm. wine. I think it's going to be a great because he's doing tri-tip up at his new restaurant, Embry and Rye. Um, now, tell us about the OB wine that's coming out. And tell us the oh. concept behind this. I love this. Okay. So back to the bins. Um, when I get the bins down from either Washington or from California, they're not all at the same level. Some will be a third full, some will be half full, some will be overfilled to the, to the top. Um, and when they start fermenting, they expand. So you don't want this stuff flying over the, the side. So you want pretty much a uniform level uh, before you inoculate with yeast and start fermenting. So um, to do that, you pale wines from one bin to another bin um, and so on and so forth. Bla uh, back in 2017, I decided to do what's called a field blend um, where you are, instead of fermenting these grapes individually and then blending them once they are a, a finished wine, you ferment them all together. So I've got Cabernet Sauvignon, I've got Cab Franc, I've got Malbec, I've got uh, Blau Frankish, Syrah, uh, Sangiovese, Mourved, all of those grapes were fermented together. With that, I made one barrel of wine. Uh, it uh, barrel aged uh, in oak uh, for two years. We bottled it on Labor Day and uh, got together with the point. We want to do something special with it because it is such a unique wine. And got together with the Point Loma Music Boosters and agreed to donate half of that barrel. Uh, to raise funds for children's programs at both high school and the junior high school level. So uh, we are working right now on putting together some events uh, where we can do fundraise kids some sorely needed money uh, so they can follow their passions uh, in either or orchestral or vocal. Uh, we have to limit it to certain areas and those are the those are two of my favorites. That's fantastic. OB is going to get its own wine from a double gold winning uh, a winemaker. <laughs> this is fantastic. I am so happy for my neighborhood. Oh, nice work, Keith. Thanks, Troy. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, it's uh, it's been fun. And uh, so um, we don't have a label. Um, and uh, you can't sell the wine. You can't move the wine without a label. So put out uh, a notice for the community to submit their wine label artistry and uh, we've got some fantastic it needed to have uh, an iconic peninsula landmark whether it is the pier or whether it is the lighthouse or sunset cliffs or the beach uh, and it had to have at least one um, symphonic instrument and one expression of vocal uh, vocal expression and if you can get all these, so I've got, I've got uh, a bunch of uh, examples and one of those will win a hundred dollars and get their artistry on uh, the inaugural bottle of OB blend. <laughs> and awesome. where can someone submit? Um, submit online. I mean, you can go to the website um, and uh, I can certainly shoot you a link. Um, I think I gave Troy some of those links. 
Yeah, you did. We're going to have a blog post up. Actually, the blog post is already up once this airs. So you can check out the blog post all about Gianni. And and I'll include all of those links of how you can submit. And then just for people at home, how can they sign? I mean, you do exclusively tastings and bottle sales out of um, out of the uh, tasting room, and then you do wine club membership. It's almost all, it's all membership, right? Um, it's not all membership. Uh, we've been shut down from doing tastings. We hopefully now on the 15th, I just learned from, uh, from you okay. folks that uh, we're gonna be changing tiers and we'll be allowed to serve wine on site again. Um, but the majority of the business is from people joining wine club. Um, you get 20% off your purchases, which is significant. Uh, and we, Although it's not, I don't think we can give away wine. Um, I can say we're very generous with our wine club members when they come <laughs> in and they do tastings. Um, and we, we are very generous with their guests as well. So it is really kind of a community. Although we do ship all over the country, it really does have the vibe of a kind of a community winery. And uh, there's a lot of regulars that come in and know each other's. And now they know each other's family. And uh, it's really a fun place. Awesome. 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 Well, tell everyone where they can find you guys on social media. And what is that URL that people can uh, look you up and join the club or submit some art? It is Gianni Bonomo Vintners. And our uh, URL is gbvintners.com. And uh, you can also follow us on Facebook and uh, on Instagram, uh, Johnny Bonomo Vintners. Great. I'm looking forward to uh, coming in and doing some tastings once uh, June 15th hopefully clears everything open for uh, reopening businesses. Looking yes. forward to hosting all of you down there. <laughs> awesome. Let's jump into two people, 50 bucks. Marie, let's start with you this week. So I have been on a Nashville hot chicken kick and I've been going around and trying a few of them. And I like the one at Corner Chicken. That is where Cafe Chloe used to be over in East Village and it's owned by uh, the family that has uh, Tajima Ramen. So the sandwiches are just like, it's a good serving size. Uh, it's not too big, uh, different spice levels and it's just fried really well and it's not 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 too greasy. Uh, corner chicken. Okay, for me, you I'm gonna go. Week. Uh, yeah, we've talked a lot about how sushi has not. Um, uh, sushi doesn't travel well. All right, sushi is <laughs> as is not beloved among the to go or delivery market, and I think that's a shame. And I think that uh, because of that, our sushi purveyors have struggled a little bit more than a lot of people have. Um, but if you go you order a sushi from a place for immediate takeout, especially not delivery per se, um, although it's fine on delivery, it's absolutely fine. Um, but you know, if you get up to go and, and you go sit in a park or a, you know, a beach or something like that, right near nearby, you know, it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic treat and it's getting warm. It's, you know, I want some like cool entrees. I want some good, clean, raw fish. One of my favorites in San Diego that I think is underrated is Azuki Sushi. Azuki is over in uh, Bankers Hill. Um, you know, run by, um, you know, a family or run by a few people that, you know, have are really involved in San Diego's food scene. They've got a great little place. It's this downstairs area. And then you go upstairs and it's got this back area. It's fantastic that they haven't been able to use, but do your fellow self a favor, go patron, uh, Azuki, grab it, go over to Balboa park, sit in the park and have yourself a day because we're all getting back to normal life on June 15th, according to David, who is now my God. 
<laughs> wow, I'm going to actually change my uh, business card to say that on it now. <laughs> Noah, how about you? We're going to throw you on the spot again this week because you've been doing such an eloquent job with your two people 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. All right. So I love California burritos. I also love shrimp. And normally they're not paired together. But there's this place. I think it's off university and it's called El Compadre and they have their Cali surf and turf burrito. And I'm not even kidding guys. This burrito is as big as my forearm. It's a massive burrito. I think it's like somewhere between 12 and $14. You cut it in half. You can feed two people easily. And it's one of my favorite burritos ever. It has like this chipotle sauce in there. It's got the shrimp. It's got the steak. It's got the fries and it all works so well together. And if you don't have anyone to eat with, you just cut it in half and save it for the next day. And it eats just as well. Dude, you are you are living your my dream everybody's dream. I think I should point out that Noah is sitting in this on the Zoom call. He's got um you know his bed maybe it's might even be a futon. I'm just gonna say it's a futon because that completes my idealized version of a college kid. <laughs> you know he's got like a surfboard hanging back there and he's recommending burritos. This is how you're supposed to live life as a 20 something <laughs> in San Diego. I'm so I'm gonna shed a tear, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> how about you, Keith? Well, um, I've, been, I've been in San Diego for 23 years, and I just discovered this place two weeks ago. Um, I went down to Otay Mesa to get my Sentry Pass uh, updated um, and found out that I had an expired passport. So um, driving home, I go, you know, I passed this place that says passport photos a million times. It's right where Midway ends at Barnett. And Troy, you probably know right where that is when you take the Pacific Coast Highway and you come into OB the back way. Yep. And there's this little strip mall and it says, big as life, passport photos. So what? there's nothing ambiguous about that. Um, so I pull in there, get a passport photo, and uh, the wait is going to be about 15 minutes. Well, right next door is this place called Sabroso. Mm -hmm. And uh, the total hole in the wall taco place. So I said, not El Sabroso, this is Sabroso. And um, they don't speak much English. And it is the prototypical mom and pop. This pop is probably mid 60s. The mom about the same age. And they have TJ tacos that are probably four inch tacos. These are the bombs. You are in TJ minus the buses belching black smoke all over you. Um, <laughs> So I recommend the Adobada tacos from Sabroso in it's called the Midway area, I guess, right across from the Marine Corps recruiting station. I love that so much. I've never been. I, I, I now have a new taco place to go to. I mean, it, that's fantastic. That's right in my backyard. I've missed it for 23 years. Oh, sweet. This is what I love about covering, well, I mean, just living in a city is getting lost, you know, needing a passport photo and being like, I'm hungry. Let's try this tiny little place. And there it is. Sabroso. <laughs> nice awesome i'm going with a mom and pop place as well uh that i don't think a lot of people think of as a really an italian destination especially in pacific beach because when people think like mom and top mom and pop italian i think they think more like felipe's but there's a place marino's that's on ingram it's been there since like 1950s or so it's phenomenal like mom and pop dinerish dark italian restaurant once everything opens up, I definitely want to sit in there and, you know, get a pretty standard 
family-run uh, Italian meal. But what makes them extra special is their soup is way different. So they do a minestrone soup that the main ingredient in is cabbage, which I've never seen a minestrone done that way. And the broth is much thinner. So it's like, it's not so rich and hearty. It's like almost like what I'd think of as like a Southern California version of a minestrone. But so go check that out. Nice. I'd say this is fantastically well done. This is one of my my favorite two people 50 bucks. I want to give you guys all applause, especially Noah, but the rest of you too. Um, <laughs> and Keith, thank you so much. Uh, everybody, Gianni Beaumont, Bonomo. Bo Gianni Bonomo, thank, thanks for having me and uh, nice chatting with all of you. All right, and you guys have double gold winning North American wines on Newport Avenue in Ocean Beach. Go say hello to Keith. Um, he's uh, he's one of my favorite. He's not even salty. I just like being salty with him. He's one of my one of my my favorite straight shooters though around this these parts. So thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. You can find Troy on Instagram at Hey Troy Johnson. You can find me at David Eli Martin, and you can email Marie at MarieTSDMag.com. And I just want to give you all a heads up that after this week, we are taking a one-week vacation from this podcast, so we will be back the week after with all sorts of fun, delicious uh, inside tips and restaurants and all that good stuff for you. All right, talk to you guys next week. Cheers. In two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. Oh, yeah. Talk to you in two weeks. Whatever. Uh, math is not <laughs> my specialty. I'm a writer. Right. <laughs>